If you would, take your Bibles and uh, turn to uh, Joshua 24, and uh, then we'll also be in Judges uh, chapter 2. Uh, you have, uh, have heard it said, and you've, you have witnessed that uh, America uh, is in a cultural war. Uh, and the war, the America that we grew up with is not the America that our kids are growing up with. And uh, now th- this is not a message about that, uh, but I want to use it as a, a launching pad for what we're going to be looking at today. Just consider uh, how America has changed their minds in the last 20 years uh, that has now become morally acceptable. Uh, sex, same-sex re- relationships have gone from 40% to 66% acceptable. Uh, we were talking about this last night. Uh, Out-of-marriage childbirth has risen from 59% to 66%. Almost two-thirds of the births now are, either, are single moms or out-of-wedlock um, kids, uh, fatherless homes. And that's what we uh, are facing in Ellis, too. Uh, sex between unmarried adults has risen from 53% to 72% acceptable. Uh, acceptable. Divorce rates has gone from 59% to around 77%, and they're finding that there is not much statistical differences in churches. Uh, the same uh, goes for outside. Cohabitation has emerged as a lifestyle. In the church. Uh, I won't grab hold of that. Now, in 2021, uh, there was an estimated in America about uh, 331 million people. Matter of fact, Wheaton's College Institute did a study of American evangelicals, and uh, there was literally about one third of Americas have identified themselves as evangelicals and it, across the color spectrum, uh, white, black, red, yellow, it doesn't matter. It's just one third of Americans identify themselves as uh, evangelicals. And uh, 66% of those says, say that their religious beliefs conflicts with the American mainstream culture beliefs, which scares me a little bit if you think about that. Two-thirds of evangelical Christians uh, are saying that the, that the culture conflicts with their belief. I'm thinking about what's the other third doing, but uh, 42% of Americans that have no uh, affiliation say that the mainstream American culture uh, feels the same way that they, there's a conflict. So many of you know, and uh, I know here at the church, they do, uh, they're great at uh, teaching the biblical aspects of this, but we're in the uh, latter part. And I tell my people, we're in the last minute of the last hour of the last day, but what church age are we dealing in? The layout, By the way, guys, I love talking, so y'all gonna have to talk with me, okay? Uh, we're in the Laodicean age, right? Laodicea means the people rule, not God, not God's son, not the Bible truth, not his spirit. And now we say what is truth. We declare what is acceptable and what is acceptable, not God. And there's a real danger here when that happens because 
when we get to that point, we're going to worship what we feel like is best for us. As a matter of fact, when, when you throw out the precepts, you throw out the rules, uh, you can cherry pick what you want and what you agree with. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing this more and more in churches also. Any disagreements on that? Are y'all seeing that? Okay. So I'm not the only one. So look at verse 12 of Joshua 24. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture and then we'll get to some of our points. And uh, Joshua is at the latter part of his life. He's leaving a challenge for the next generation. And uh, he, he's kind of rehearsing in their ears what has happened in the past. And verse 12 says this, And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not without sword, not without bow. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them of the vineyards and the olive yards, uh, which ye have planted not, do you eat? Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the floods, or the gods of the Amorites, and whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore we, will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the uh, people, Ye are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen uh, you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. If you would uh, turn to Judges chapter 2 real quick and look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did in Israel. Verse 8, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tamath Haras, in the Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gosh. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. These three chairs that I've got up here are, are used for a visual, but they're expressing exactly what we're going to be looking at today. I, I'm going to call this first chair the Joshua chair. 
It was a godly chair. And uh, the second chair represents the elders that outlived uh, Joshua and uh, rose. And then the third chair that we have is the generation that knew not God. Let, let, let me just call that the godless chair. And uh, I, I want to share with every one of you that this message is for each and every person. Every one of you are sitting in one of these chairs today. I, I want you to ask which chair are you currently sitting in? And let, let me give you four warnings real quick, and then we'll get into the major portion of where we are today in America and what we are facing. Warning number one is the rejection of objective truth under, that undermines or denies every essential claim of the Christian faith. Matter of fact, uh, John 17, uh, verse 17, Jesus writes, sanctify them through thy truth, because thy word is what? Truth, right? Okay, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the what? The truth, the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. However, if there is uh, no truth, there is not just one way. Or that life doesn't exist. Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 4, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given uh, under heaven among men, whereby we must be what? Saved. So, uh, however, a postmodernist would say, well, that's Peter's truth, but not mine. Since truth does not exist, Peter can believe whatever he wants to believe. Jesus uh, commanded his followers in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, to go and make disciples. In the postmodernist, the, uh, that's oppression. Matter of fact, that's cultural racism as we see today because you're teaching and you're proclaiming what you're proclaiming is truth, but hey, truth is relative, right? Warning number two. The sexual revolution that occurred uh, back in the 1960s, uh, back in the probably mid-1960s, uh, women were first given the ability to, uh, for birth control uh, with the pill. Then in 1950s, uh, we had, a, in early 60s, there was a gentleman named Hugh Hefner uh, who introduced Playboy to everybody. And um, so no longer was it kind of hidden behind but anybody could go to the uh, store, the 7-Elevens, and be able to buy a magazine. And uh, the counterculture war in the 1960s with the uh, protesting of the Vietnam War and uh, challenging uh, the uh, ideas of uh, right and wrong, promoting uh, the rock and roll, the drugs, the public display of nudity, and complete sexual freedom that we saw introduced with Woodstock. And uh, then, uh, and recently, I don't know if y'all know this, but did you realize that ladies now are able to go topless and not get arrested. Did y'all, did y'all, Tenth Circuit Court has ruled that women don't have to wear a top. That's the world we're living in. 
And of course, uh, then you can marry whoever you want to marry, and love is love. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 25, for this call shall a, a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Warning number three, critical theory, uh, was introduced, and the basis of the foundation of the culture needs to be questioned. And that's the whole theory that, uh, of the basis of this theory is that everything that has happened in the past, you need to question because what's in the past is all wrong. And then they introduced the critical race theory, which y'all are probably more familiar with than the critical theory, but it grows out of that. And recently, uh, that critical race theory says those that have been influential in the past in America are the problem. And so if, uh, if you're a white male Christian, you're the problem. And now they have turned it to say now all Christians are the problem. And uh, they're personally attacking Christians. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all one in Christ. And so we see a unity there, but warning number four, the rise of secular religion. And, and matter of fact, religion is considered dangerous. Uh, uh, Richard uh, Dawkins, uh, when 9-11 happened, one of the things he said was that 9-11 was caused by religious fanatics. And we, we understand that um, mentality, but now they have applied it to every religion. So if you're uh, culturally conservative and you have a Judeo-Christian background, you're dangerous. Uh, he claimed that many of the religious uh, could, not be, uh, could not be verified and it was basically for, uh, folklore and uh, they needed to be treated as such. As a matter of fact, those who believe such things are ignorant and they need to be re-educated. And so how many of y'all have recently graduated college? Not that one, huh? How many of y'all know some young college kids that are going through school right now? What are they facing? Re-education, re-indoctrination, especially in the secular schools? Psalm 14, verse 1 says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's where we're at. Now, America was birthed out of the belief, and I want to read, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So let me call this first chair the Christian chair. The second chair, they're Christians, but with the introduction of uh, the after World War II and the uh, increase of wealth, they're still Christians, and it's okay to believe what you want to believe, but just don't bother me with that. And the third chair describes what we're seeing today that they did not know God. 
These are third chair individuals. So how did we get from first chair to third chair? Because the Bible says a man gets worse and worse instead of getting better and better. And matter of fact, even the second law of thermodynamics says and proclaims that everything moves from order to disorder. And uh, some of you may remember, uh, if you go back in your education, uh, Harvard, Yale, uh, all the Ivy League colleges, what were they originally set up for? They were preaching schools. And now what are they? Order from disorder. Many of y'all, I'm, I'm getting, showing my age now, okay? Um, I remember when there was a time on Sundays there would be nothing open. Grocery stores shut down. Nothing, nothing was open on Sunday. Everybody closed down and went to church or they stayed inside because of the uh, pressure of, of Sundays and the honor of Sundays. Schools used to teach the Bible or at least be used to teach morals. And a matter of fact, we have been so convinced that we're not to judge anyone. But did you realize that we are commanded to judge and we're commanded to be discerning? And so how can we be discerning if we're not judging based on what God's word says versus what other people are saying? So we have allowed educators to dictate to us that they know what's best for our children we have advocated our God-given right, our God-given authority, our God-given responsibility to the government because it's easier to turn it over to them versus us doing it. We have turned over our authority to be able to say, well, you teach them what's right, and how can they know what is right? If we are called to be salt and light, we have gone from a time when church came first to now, well, if church can fit into my time frame, then I'll go. In other words, if there's another activity that we need to do, whether it's sports, whether it's family, whether it's whatever, well, if it fits in, then we'll go. So what chair does that represent? Christian chair? The Christian, but don't bother me, Ty. Or the chair that knew not God. Please understand, I, I'm, I'm not angry at our society, but I'm grieved. And I, I'm more grieved for our churches. Because here we are called to be salt and light. You remember the how many people claim to be evangelical Christians that I said earlier? What was that, about what? One third? How many of y'all like steak? How many? Come on, guys, talk to me, okay? How many of y'all like steak? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> I, yeah. I have gained 10 pounds since being out here with Kenny. Um, <laughs> I have suffered for the Lord uh, coming out. I've eaten more barbecue, I've eaten more ice cream, I've, and Bree's an amazing cook, so uh, I'm grateful. But think about if you had a pound of steak, 16 ounces, and you put one-third 
pound of salt on that steak, would it affect the taste? Yet one-third of Americans claim that we are evangelical Christians. Why aren't we impacting America? First chair, Joshua chair. Second chair, the elders chair. Third chair, the other generation. Does it concern you that our children, and I'm saying now my grandchildren, are close to being into that third chair? First chair Christians. Let me kind of give you some idea of what we're talking about. First chair Christians. That would be called the Joshua chair. Uh, Godly experience. These are the type of Christians that got their hands dirty. Joshua, he knew God. He had a personal relationship with God. Uh, God was not his daddy's God. Uh, God was not his mama's God. Our, Our God was not Moses' God but was his God. And there's a huge difference, okay? We need to grab hold of this because our teens and our young adults, uh, I think you call them Kaya, is that the group? Uh, Are experiencing a a shock to the system because now they are having to, uh, instead of being protected in mama's God and daddy's God, now they are being assaulted and they're trying to figure out who is God. And we need to be able to teach them uh, about who God is personally. uh, Joshua did not know about him, but was involved with him. Let me kind of give you a few things. Remember when Israel fought against Amalek? And uh, Moses said, you take the group, I'm going to go up to the uh, mountain. And uh, Moses, when he uh, raised his hand, Israel prevailed. When he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. And you remember they had Aaron and Hur went up beside him. And, and, uh, but who was in the fight? Who was in the pit fighting? See, we, we concentrate on Moses but a lot of times we don't remember that Joshua's in the pit fighting the Amaleks. And he's there going, uh, Moses, keep, keep, keep your hands up because I can imagine when, when, he, when Moses gets tired, he starts putting his hands down. Uh, Joshua's looking up, Moses, keep them up. We need you down here. We need you to keep praying. And you have to do it God's way. It was Joshua's faith that was uh, effective in the pit. Moses was praying. But Joshua believed that God would give him the victory. What about when Jericho, the impregnable city, and you remember Joshua said that God, well, God told us that we're going to march around that city uh, one time for six days, And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven days, and we're going to shout, 20 years military, two wars, two deployments. I have never heard a commander tell me that. That's crazy. But Joshua obeyed God. What about the 12 spies? When he was sent in, he was one of the 12 spies. Ten came back and gave gave a a terrible report, but only Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take that. If God is for us, we can take it. Don't worry about what the others are saying. First chair Christians, they experience the power of God. 
He had proved God and first chair Christians believe God. And it's more than just a head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge that translates to your hands. See, I, I think many times, and I, I walk a lot, so y'all forgive me. Some of y'all are going, which way is he going? Sometimes we get to the point where it's easier for Kenny to do it. He's called to do it. It's easier for Pastor Chad to do it. We're paying him to do it. And a lot of times we look at first chair Christians as the elitists. But it's not about it. It's about a relationship. Joshua had a relationship with God. Do you remember when he went with Moses he was the one that heard God's voice there on Mount Sinai. He heard, and he had a relationship. Second chair Christians, the elders. Um, these elders knew the Lord, and I am confident that, uh, if I could say it this way, that they had received Christ. They, they knew their Savior. They were saved, but had never experienced uh, God's power. Their stories go something like this. See if you uh, relate to this. You remember Moses? You remember how cool it was to walk through the uh, Red Sea and how Moses split the sea? You remember how he went up to the rock and, uh, man, he hit uh, that rock and spoke to the rock and water came out? Do you remember the manna that came out? Do you remember how Joshua led us into the, the uh, promised land? And, man, the stories that Caleb would tell and uh, God really moved. Praise the Lord, God moved. Does that sound any familiar? Stories. Their stories were truth, but they were living through other people's victories. The second chair Christians serve the God of someone else. You see, they can tell you about how prayers are answered. They can tell you probably about faith promise offering and how we ought to be able to give to missions. They can tell you about the Bible. They can tell you about the promises of the Bible. They can tell you about tithing. They can talk about separation from the world. They can uh, talk the talk, but they're not walking the walk. They live in the past. Can I tell you, it, it's not about who you are or what position that you hold that determines which chair you sit in. I, I'm not a first chair Christian because I'm the pastor of a church. Kenny's not a first chair Christian because he leads the life groups here. Can I tell you I'm a first chair Christian because I have applied my hands to the promises of God and I have experienced personally the faithfulness and the rewards of serving him. The first chair Christian is not for the elites. Every one of you can be a first chair Christian. Anyone who follows wants to follow Jesus, but here's something that you need to understand before we go any farther. Second chair Christians generally produce third chair generations. Let me ask you, Knowing what you know today, where do you think most Christians sit? 
First chair or second chair? How about those that attend this church? Let's get personal. Where do you sit? If I was to assign you a seat up here, which one would you be assigned? First chair, second chair. Let's just look at the third chair generation. I, I, I call this the lost generation. These are not Christians. These are people that are religious. Matter of fact, uh, they may even say they're good and they're good-hearted people. They may have even been baptized as a child. And, but the third generation does not know God, nor do they even care to know God. They are faithless because they don't know Him, nor do they really have a desire. They serve other gods. And here's the reason. Moms, dads, it just got too tough. Well, you know, we'll, we'll go to church if it's, if I feel okay. Um, we're just too busy to mess with church today. We've got other things. I'm so exhausted from the weekend. I'm so exhausted from the week. We'll just, we'll just go later. And, and I'm just going to tell you with all the love that I could possibly muster that if you're sitting in the second chair as a mother and dad, most likely your children are going to be in the third chair. If there's grandparents here, we're, we're, I'll tell you, we are. We, we're uh, grandkids or God's blessing for not killing your teenagers. <laughs> I, I, if I could go straight to the grandparent stage, I would because I, our kids, I love them to death. We had five, uh, four biological, one adopted. Three are in the ministry right now. Uh, two are in the ministry right now. One is uh, being trained to be in the ministry. They almost didn't make it. And there are times, even as grandma and grandpas, that we say, well, I've already fought the battle. I'm going to ask you, are you still breathing? You see, you're, you're still in the battle. It, it is hard, and you want your kids to be in the first chair, but you're sitting in that second chair, and do you think that your kids or your grandparents or your grandkids are going to be in the first chair when you're sitting in that second chair? They will do exactly and see and uh, replicate exactly what they see you doing. So how do you fix it? I, I, it's really simple. Move chairs. Get up and move from the second to the first. Well, well, preacher, that, that, that's hard. I'm going to ask you, do you love your kids? Honestly, let, let, let's evaluate. Do, do you really love your kids? Because we say we do. We say we love them, but we, we want to be in the second chair because this is comfortable. But if we want them in the first chair, then we're going to have to get up and move. Well, preacher, I, I really don't know exactly where I'm sitting. And this is a southern boy coming out of me, malarkey. Every one of you know where you're sitting. 
If not, ask your spouse. Ask your kids. How many of y'all would love to have your kids give you an evaluation of where you're sitting? It scares the heebie-jeebies out of me when I was uh, younger asking my kids, what do you think, Dad, where's he at? And I, I truly believe that the cumulative effect, okay, determines where you sit. And you, you see, there are times when I'm gaining victories. And I, I'm sitting in the first chair, and God is amazing. He's showing me some things. that, uh, I, and, and then there's times in the, that I let sin get in my life, and uh, I creep into that second chair. And, and I, I hope and pray that I, I never move to that third chair where I, I'm ignoring God completely. And, but let me ask you, if your children are going to be in a chair, you're in a second chair. Which one is closer for them to sit in? The third chair is closer to the second. Because we always will go to the easiest place. So, you know, I'm a first chair Christian when it comes to church. I mean, uh, I want you to understand I'm here faithfully. I'm here every Sunday. I, I'm, I'm part of discipleships. I'm doing things, but what's on your TV? What's on your phone? Let me ask you this. Those that are, uh, grew up uh, in my age time frame, what was the gateway drug for all the other drugs? Y'all know that one, John? Huh? Marijuana started, and then you go into heroin, something... Uh, heavier and stuff like that, right? Some of y'all, some of my guys have gone straight to heroin. They just went to the, the heavier stuff than LSD and, you know. Now, what is the gateway drug? Did y'all realize this is, has everything that you can possibly want? It's the entranceway to anything and everything. And your kids need to know how dangerous it is. But what happens if mom and dad are on this all the time? You see, we say we're in the first chair, but what we do at home, what about griping about the preacher? What about complaining about how long he preaches? You know, it's hard when we only see them about 40 minutes a week and y'all have them for the rest of the, the week. What are they hearing? Who do you think they're going to listen to? And I want you to experience God's work. And I want to ask you, and I want you to evaluate. Do you really know God? I mean, are, are you in the first chair are, are you in the second chair? I, I'm not talking about whether you know about God because a lot of people know about God, but they don't know God. And when you talk to your kids, do, do you talk to them about how God answered your prayers? I, I, I remember my dad, uh, when we were in, in Alabama, I grew up in, a, in several small towns, but uh, my dad was a, a elementary school principal, high school coach. My mom was a, uh, a seventh through twelfth grade counselor. So, 
I caught it both ways. Uh, I was a, a principal's kid and I was a teacher's kid, but I remember my dad would open up the house for our cousins and they became basically our adopted brothers and but uh, we would call them foster kids today, but back then there was no such thing because families just took care of families. And I remember Eddie coming in and uh, spent some time with us, and then Joseph came, Joe came in, and uh, his mom gave some money for uh, to be able to take care of Joe and Lil, and, and uh, they were running out of money, and there was a deposit box, safety deposit box in the bank, and... Only the banker and the one that held the key could get into the safety deposit box. And my dad came back and was worried about, you know, having the money to be able to buy the groceries and stuff to help with the, with the two. And he came back and he said, look at this dollar. And I, I've got the dollar. It's probably one of the most precious things I've, I've gotten in my dad's possession after he passed. They had taken out close to $100 out of that safety deposit box. Only him and the banker can get into that bank, into that deposit box. When he went in there, every bit of that money was back in there with this dollar that's written on it. I bless this. That's God's promises. And I remember daddy telling me, he said, Chad, if you will put God first, if you will do things that God tells you to do, he will never forsake you, and he would hold up that dollar. He said, this is proof that God answers prayers. See, that's a first chair Christian. And because of that, I learned what it meant to tithe. I met, Trish and I, when we first got married, we said, we don't have a whole lot. As a matter of fact, on Friday evenings, I think we had a, a, a thing of peanut butter, and that was about it. This was back before you actually ha you had to have a physical check, you know, to go make purchases. But I remember God providing food for first chair Christians. You see, when you start looking at it, you're able then to tell your kids how God has answered prayers for you. And you'll be able to tell them how you made decisions. Because I, I want everybody to look up here just, just a second. I want to ask you, do you serve God? Or do you serve the God of your parents? Or do you serve the God of maybe Kenny Morgan or Brother Sam? Which God are you serving? Fair question if you really think about it. Because every one of us will serve a God. Would you come to church if, if, if your wife or your husband did not say, hey, we're, we're going to church today. Would you still come to church if it wasn't for them? Determines which chair you're in. You see, you, you may survive the second chair, but your kids won't. Your kids won't survive it. Are you listening to the world and being pulled by their entertainment, the shallowness of uh, many of the, the preaching that we hear today? It, it really determines which chair you're in because you, are, you may survive, but one of these days your kids are going to grow up. They're going to have a family. 
They're going to get married. Which chair is your grandkids going to be in? You see, parents, adults, grandparents, do you really love your children? Who is the most precious gift that God has given you in your life? Are you willing to not are you willing to sit in that second chair and not get up and be a first chair Christian? Are you going to say there rose up a generation that knew not God? Father, I ask you to bless today. I ask that you would just take control. And Father, as we are challenged to look at the chairs that we are sitting in, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just do the work that you have called us to do. And Father, just change hearts however you choose to move. In Jesus' name, amen.